So all of a sudden, we're just 10 days out from the January transfer window closing. This is Transfer Daily from The Athletic. I'm Adam Leventhal and I'm here for the rest of the week. We're going to be talking transfer sagas today, some that have already happened and some that are still pending. The Athletics senior football writer Oliver Kay and German football expert Raphael Honigstein join me. Just to let you know, we'll also have updates from our team of dedicated reporters on what's going on at your club, uh, including Liam Toomey is going to be talking about Chelsea's search for a striker, especially after Tammy Abraham's injury. If you're listening today and perhaps you want to send in a question for tomorrow's podcast, uh, you can send it directly to me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Adam Leventhal, predictably, uh, with the hashtag Transfer Daily, and we will get on to it on Thursday's edition. Right, Ollie and Rafa, thank you very much for joining us today. Let's get stuck in to the sagas. Um, and one that is bubbling up nicely at the moment. Just have a listen to our Manchester City reporter, Sam Lee, who's been talking on the Why Always Us podcast about City's potential overhaul, which includes a big name departure. So there will be an overhaul, but at the same time, you're keeping Edison in place, you're keeping Laporte in place, um, probably Carl Walker and Cancelo. They're not like, well, Cancelo's not like a huge, crucial bit now, but, you know, he's, he's there. Um, Rodri and Gundogan will stay. David um, David Silva won't be there, but um, Bernardo Silva is still going to be there. Fantastic player. Kevin De Bruyne is still going to be there. Raheem Sterling. Now, there's a situation there where I think his agent wants him to go to Real Madrid quite soon. I don't think City would ever do that in the summer they sell Sane as well. But, you know, maybe in 18 months that might start to be an issue or at least, you know, it's something they need to deal with. So some interesting words there from Sam Lee. And the thing that sticks out, gents, um, when he was talking there is Sterling to Real Madrid. Maybe not now, obviously, or in the summer, but over the next 18 months. The fact that we're already talking about it and speculating about it, are we into saga territory already with this one, Ollie? Um, God, I hope not. I, I can't stand these. Uh, the ones that, I mean, it's it's bad enough, the ones that go from the, the moment the transfer window opens in June to, to, to the end of August, or the ones that run the whole of January. The ones that, the ones that drag on for a year and a half or two and a half years are, are painful as a journalist and probably um, be painful for a lot of fans as well. But um, I, the, the Sterling one is, is, is interesting because he, he signed a big, big contract. I think it was November 2018 or late 2018. There was, all, there was sort of talk, not all that long after me, you know, certainly within 12 months, there was talk of negotiations starting on a new contract or maybe not starting. And, and there was maybe some sort of, slight difference of opinion between um, himself or his agent and, uh, and the club about about that. So it feels like that there is some slight um, uncertainty there and, and, and a slight grey area which um, other clubs and Real Madrid or, or someone like that might be the obvious one, might, might wish to um, gauge. But I, I personally, I, I can't really I can't really see Raheem Sterling at, at Real Madrid. I think that I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful player, but, but he's, a, he's at a wonderful club or you know, a wonderful team where he has a starring role, he gets paid enormous sums. And it's interesting because what Sam mentioned in that clip that we played you, that a key element in potentially Sterling leaving Manchester City would be Leroy Sane moving back 
to the Bundesliga. Um, what's your understanding, Rafa, in terms of how certain he is to move to Bayern Munich this summer? Well, well nothing's really certain uh, with a transfer of this magnitude. Uh, Bayern were reasonably certain that they had agreed a deal with both him and City, at least in principle, uh, last summer, of course. Then uh, a cruciate ligament injury interrupted and, and disrupted that deal. He wasn't very happy that he had to play. He only played, we later learned from Sam, that um, it was initially Riyad Mahrez who'd been supposed to be in this position but couldn't play because concerns about some medication he had received when away with Algeria. So really a combination of very unfortunate circumstances as far as he and Bayern were concerned. Bayern still believe that the player wants to go. They still believe that he will be resistant to any attempts to change his mind and renew his contract. But you never know if he has a fantastic second half of the season. Maybe City will redouble their efforts. Maybe other clubs will come in, which so far hasn't happened to my knowledge. So they are hopeful and optimistic, but not in a position where they say, you know what, this is definitely nailed on because the deal is still too big for that. And the, I think the, the potential haggling over the price is still too complicated. This is a player who will be out of contract in 2021. And I think Bayern are hoping that that will be very much reflected in the asking price of City. I think City will look at the precedent of Eden Hazard, for example, and say, you know what, it doesn't really make a difference to us. Uh, we don't want to sell and you have to pay up. It's interesting when you use the, the words, you know, this deal is is too big, that it's it's not, it can't, it simply can't be done quickly. You know, from both of your perspectives, what are the what are the main things that mean that these things have to take at least the period of time from from one transfer window to the next to be done? Well, I think the main thing is is that generally the, the, as a starting point for any negotiation, the, the selling club and the buying club are normally 50 million apart. Now that the valuations are, are so huge. So it, that in itself takes a, takes a long time to sort of find some common ground and it never seems to be the kind of thing that can just sort of happen in a in an airport meeting in Munich or or, or in Manchester or, or whatever it, it, it just seems to, to take ages I mean contracts because it's being talked about um, are long and and um, I would divert any readers to Danny Taylor's piece on the athletic about um, some of the strange things that are that are in contracts and and, and some of the reasons why they are um, as as uh, protracted as as they seem to be, and you know, it's, it, it's they are they are complex negotiations, but it's it's unnecessarily drawn out in some cases. I mean, if if the if the January transfer window was was open for a, a week or two weeks rather than the thirty you know the thirty one days of January, I'm sure a lot of deals would be done a lot quicker. If the summer window was uh, was sort of two months or six weeks rather than rather than three months, I'm sure again it would be. Um, things would be done quicker but it just because of that because of the amount of time there is both sides are sort of playing a game of poker and, and drawing it out as much as they can to um to make it as difficult uh, as it can and it's it's striking really that, that there are some clubs that get their business done and their top targets nailed down very very quickly and there are some clubs i think we spoke about it in a previous podcast which just seem to be always thrashing around at the last minute and, and involved in these painful negotiations which never really go well. I always liken it to uh, how I used to prepare for exams. You know that you've got loads and loads of time to uh, to do careful revision and then you leave it right to the last minute and try and cram it in all at the last minute and and then inevitably 
don't do particularly well. Uh, anyway, well, well, well funnily enough, if, if there are any of our editors listening and they're hearing me lecturing football clubs about abusive deadlines. And, uh, <laughs> taking liberties with deadlines I, I think I think I'll probably be sacked so um, yes yes uh, obviously not as easy as it sounds quite, quite. Uh, do as I do as I say yes I indeed do. um just thinking about that uh Rafa in terms of you know a deal that seemingly is just getting warmed up and is going to take quite some time to to be done you know obviously we mentioned Sané going to the Bundesliga um in terms of what Jaden Sancho uh is going to do that's obviously one that has been talked about Obviously, since his, you know, his his emergence over the last twelve months with the England team, um, but where do you see his future, and how is that saga going to evolve? Well, I think his future is definitely um, not in in Dortmund. Dortmund are under no illusions that he will stick around for too long. I think there is almost a uh, an expectation, or or even a hope, that he is going to have a fantastic second half of the season. Uh, perhaps crowned by a Euro-winning performance with England, and then the bidding war can start. Dortmund are aware that he sees the club as a stepping stone. That is also partly how they sold themselves to him when he moved from Manchester City, which was, which was seen as a huge risk on his behalf at the time, which has worked out very well. So they they are very smart, very pragmatic, and they just are determined to to cash in and achieve the best uh, best price for for their most valued asset just want to go back to your initial question i think there are two more reasons why things take a mm. long time first of all is in the, in a lot of these big moves it almost takes a false uh, attempt or a, a thwarted initial bid for then the buying club to force through the deal a year later when perhaps everyone is a little more comfortable with the idea of this big star leaving you know that the fans have had a more time to digest this news now, the player would have had 12 more times of sort of pushing home the message that he wants to leave. And then it's often in that second year that we see those big moves going going through. Uh, so that's one reason, sort of the interior dynamics of that kind of move. But the other reason is um, the knock-on effects on personal contracts when it comes to the shoe sponsors of the players, their endorsements. Sometimes there are conflicts with the uh, endorsements of the club they're going to. They need to compensate for him or they need to extricate him from some certain deals or they need to indeed use um, some of their connections to reward him um, as well as giving him a new contract. Also perhaps making sure that his uh, sponsors who just happen to be the sponsors of the club perhaps in one, one or two cases uh, up his uh, personal uh, appearance fees etc. Um, but thirdly and I think this is the most important thing and this is uh, you know a reason why I think especially when it comes to the Premier League sides where those big deals really take a long time is uh, a little bit like a chain when it comes to buying and, and, and selling houses you want to know if you are doing your work well as a selling club who are you going to bring in and that of course then opens the discussion with one possibly two more clubs down the line and that's why things are really really hard um, there's no use having all this money as Barcelona have found when they sold Neymar uh, burning a hole in your pocket and you don't have the necessary replacements on up because people will just take advantage of you. So if you are a selling club like Dortmund, for example, they're a good, they're a good example of this. They uh, will have already identified the money and, and the, the targets for the Sancho uh, replacement uh, now. And they probably would have a deal in place by April and uh, not to be in a position where people think, ah, you know, here's 120 million. That's how much we're going to ask for this next 19-year-old kits that we're selling to them. 
It's fascinating, isn't it? And I, I, that's, a, that's a really good sort of explanation of uh, exactly why they can't just be done like a transfer at many other football clubs where you can just go, yeah, we need him. Is he happy? Yeah, OK, right, well, let's sign him. There's so many different things that need to be uh, considered. Right, gents, just uh, hold those thoughts for now because we're going to be uh, talking to you uh, about your, I don't know if this is the right word, fondest sagas. That sounds like a, a bit of a contradiction in, in terms, but we'll be asking for those in a moment. But let's just uh, ping around some of our athletic reporters with some transfer updates. Liam Toomey here. So last night's result and in particular the, the injury concern around Tammy Abraham has, has clearly increased um, the perception of, of Chelsea's urgency to sign a new new striker this month. Although Frank Lampard after the game insisted that he thinks that, that Abraham's injury is only short term. He left Stamford Bridge with ice on his ankle but he wasn't in a boot, he wasn't on crutches. So that suggests that maybe sitting out the FA Cup tie against Hull City um, could be enough to get him back for the for the games that really matter for Chelsea. But it's clear that you know a more significant problem for Abraham will leave Chelsea in real trouble. And um, Edinson Cavani appears to be the only high-profile forward on the market. He would be a very expensive option for Chelsea. In some ways, the worst sort of impulses of Chelsea's past transfer windows and an aging European striker with with knee issues and um, and a not brilliant recent goal scoring or health record but it's a difficult market January Lampard described it after the Arsenal game as as very much a short-term window which suggests that Chelsea are are prepared to consider short-term solutions to to the problems they have so there have been no solid developments as yet but we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on it. As far as incoming transfers at Arsenal goes it is still relatively quiet this despite the pronounced need for a centre half probably exaggerated even further by David Luiz's forthcoming suspension for a game. Arsenal are down to the bare bones there. Granite Xhaka filled in for the second half against Chelsea and did so admirably, but I'm not sure it's an option Nicola Teta will want to consider in the long term. Levin Kazawa, that one is ongoing. Unsurprisingly, they've reached agreements fairly swiftly, we believe, uh, with the players' side. Uh, no great surprise, given that the player is represented by Keir Jarabchian, who himself has a very close relationship with the Arsenal hierarchy. But there is a catch, and that is that Thomas Tuchel, the PSG manager, is not in a hurry to let any player who's of particular use to him go. As is always the case at PSG, he's under significant pressure to deliver in the second half of the season. And his first choice left back, Bernat, is currently out injured, meaning Kazawa is currently starting. Not playing particularly well, if you listen to any PSG fans, but starting nonetheless. And so the chances of him moving for nothing, which we believe is what Arsenal were hoping to do in this January transfer winner, are pretty slim. PSG would certainly demand compensation in the form of a fee to get Kazawa. I think the form of Bukai Saka, who's been really impressive at left-back, might mean that they decide they're better off utilising that money elsewhere. Hi guys, a quick transfer update from Bournemouth. Not too much happening right now, uh, but that's not to say the club aren't active this month. They are. If they are to bring someone in, they will want someone who can improve the squad. Not an easy task to find someone like that in January. Uh, but with that in mind, any incomings are likely to be loans rather than permanent. Doesn't bode too well with the links to former Chelsea man Bertrand Traore. I think a move for the Leon winger does seem a bit far-fetched just due to the big fees being talked about. That would be very surprising. But uh, a move for a winger, a wide player, forward, someone with creativity, does seem to be on the agenda. 
Danish winger Jakobren Larsson of Borussia Dortmund. He's another name who's been linked with the club and it's understood there was interest from Bournemouth, but the German club are keen to sell rather than loan. So no major developments, nothing to get too excited about, but do keep your eyes peeled. OK, gents, let's uh, kick on now to your favourite sagas. We're talking big names here. Obviously, we saw Eden Hazard most recently head to Real Madrid. I remember being on air when uh, Gareth Bale... Uh, and his move to Real Madrid broke, and that was all very exciting when he headed to the the Spanish capital. Let's start with with you, Oli, and it actually concerns uh, Real Madrid's rivals, Barcelona. You've chosen Cesc Fabregas, who went through that fascinating path from a very young man from Barcelona via Arsenal back to Barcelona again, and it was uh, it was a classic saga, wasn't it? It was because, well, I mean, and I would definitely not use the word favourite because it was, it was, it felt like it was drip, 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 drip for about six <laughs> years, really. Um, Barcelona's players would seemingly get hold of him at every international meetup, and, and and there would always be these interviews about how Fabregas had Barcelona in his DNA and all all this kind of thing, and it, it just it just went on and on and on for years, and it would be every summer that there would be this sort of courtship really through the through the Spanish press about about how they were going to bid for him and sometimes they did I remember in um, I think it was Austria with the England squad and just before the 2010 World Cup and a bid had gone in for Fabregas that day and it felt like that was going to be a summer of um, Fabregas transfer saga and, and Arsenal eventually closed that down he finally went the the following summer, by by which time I think his his contract was running down and and then he went there and found that. This idea of him as, as the perfect Barcelona player and Barcelona in his DNA, etc., you know, it wasn't quite right. You know, it, 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 he didn't particularly excel there. He had some, he had some good games and won a lot of trophies, but it wasn't really the match made in heaven. It felt like it was it was more the thrill of the chase for both parties. Really, it was it was a it was a strange one. But it's it's it feels to me like almost every um, big transfer has this. You know, is it, it, flagged up months in advance these days, and and then there's the sort of summer long or winter long um, courtship before it actually comes to a, a resolution, and it's uh, it's wearying as a journalist because you're expected to be on top of these things and be ready for the breakthroughs when they happen, but you don't want to be sort of reacting to every slight incremental thing that might be put out in the Spanish media or or the Portuguese media or, or whatever. You, you want to sort of think well we'll we'll report something when there's when there's something relevant to to report something significant yeah it can be rather attritional especially if it stretches over mm. over six years um rafa i wanted to talk to you about owen hargreaves was that quite as as drawn out when he when he went to manchester united I don't think people remember it as such but it, it certainly was um when he had this very good world cup yeah. Uh, perhaps the only English player to have a good World Cup in 2006. Um, you might remember that he was invited to Old Trafford and uh, to have a look at the facilities. And a few uh, photographers just happened to be there at the same time, <laughs> taking pictures of him. And then the next day, I think uh, one paper ran with the line gotcha or something like that. Um, you know, he, he's definitely coming. Now, Bayern didn't know anything about this and were very, very unhappy. And uh, they kept p- telling people that we're absolutely not selling. But because he'd already been seen, it was treated as a done deal. And everybody thought it was a done deal. I think ultimately Uli Hunas had to uh, do an interview where he said, Man United can do a hat stand this summer. We will not sell them. 
before the penny dropped. But he did, of course, go one year later. And this was another case, another classic example, I think, where a year mm. later, Bynum sort of, sort of said, OK, fine, yeah, we know you want to go. It's OK, now you can. The reason they couldn't really sell him that year was because, of course, they had just lost Michael Ballack on a free contract to Chelsea, which in itself had been a tremendously drawn out and very acrimonious um, saga, which is worth mentioning for one, for one funny detail, perhaps. Um, as he was running down his contract and Bayern were very unhappy that he was not staying, not signing this new deal and then publicly retracted that offer to the applause of their members at the AGM. It's all very populist and very, very ugly. Um, but he actually told his agent at one stage that he did not want to go and see the Bayern uh, general manager, the later president, Uli Hoeneß, because he was afraid that Hoeneß might convince him to stay. He was so persuasive, Hoeneß, that Balak said, no, no, I can't. I don't want to see him. He might talk me around. Well, he didn't. Eventually, he moved to Chelsea. It's fascinating, isn't it? And, and it does sometimes get to the point where players and clubs, if they just stopped and had a look at what they were saying and what they were doing, surely they would laugh at some of their, their behaviour because they seem to lose all grasp on, on reality. Um, Ollie, I wanted to ask you about um, Cristiano Ronaldo because... Uh, you know, there's often sort of long drawn out affairs that all of a sudden accelerate and, and can catch people out. And that's exactly what happened with, with him heading to the Bernabeu, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was um, It was one where, as I said, it, it was, it was a, a long courtship. There was a, there was a presidential election, I think in 2006, yeah, after, 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 the, after the World Cup, where one of the candidates said he already had a, a deal to take Cristiano Ronaldo to... Um, to Real Madrid, and this and this was at a time when when Ronaldo hadn't really exploded into life at Old Trafford. It was it was seen as a sort of it was seen as something you would question at, at that time in the in the way that you think, well, well is, he, is he is he really ready for Real Madrid? And, and and Ferguson said outright. I remember sitting down with Ferguson in, with others um, on United's preseason tour of South Africa that summer. He was absolutely insistent that. Uh, there was no way Ronaldo was going to be sold. A non-starter. He wasn't. He wasn't quite so um, uh, forthright about um, Ruud van Nistelrooy by that by that point. Funnily enough, um, but then it happened every summer. Uh, Two thousand seven, Real Madrid tried again, and it was it was all the same things through the through the media. This sort of long um, courtship campaign that, that was very public, and then Florentino Perez would say something on the record about about how that how. How much they admire him, or, or whatever that happened again after two thousand eight, Ferguson demanded that that Ronaldo stayed and gave him one more season, and then two thousand nine, it was basically expected all season that Ronaldo was going to go at the end of that season. It was uh, reported, I think, by Danny Taylor and and others that a deal had been done in in about February that was fiercely denied, um, and then it just. Just one morning in in June, it was just announced by both clubs. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't felt that there had been negotiations that day or that week. So it really did feel that the deal had been done weeks and months in advance, and they just decided that day to to drop it. We'd all been braced for a a summer of um, you know another of these wrangles, but it, it then happened that that it was just announced and done. And 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 funny enough, Eden Hazard was was quite a similar thing this this summer where again there was this sort of three-year lead up and then it was it was done very early in the summer i think chelsea made clear that if this is going to happen it's going to happen early and then we we can all move on and, and um for once uh yeah P- perez and real madrid 
did the right thing there. When it happens so quickly, you think, oh no, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to miss that saga. Um, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, gents, to uh, avoid this podcast becoming a saga on sagas, that is actually all we have time for. Um, but I just wanted to ask you both your final thoughts. Is there anything that we've missed? I, I, I like the I, I like the ones that have just just come out of nowhere and, and are just sort of announced. If you go back to um, I mean, Derek Cantona, one from from Leeds to Manchester United was was the the classic one where where it was a sort of chance conversation um, about another player. I think it was Leeds sniffing around Dennis Owen at the time and ended up in a conversation about Cantona. And within a few hours, he was a, a Manchester United player. And I remember similarly. Ian Rush rejoining Liverpool from Juventus in 1988. That was just that was seemingly done in in you know just in in an hour. You know it was it was, it was famously a kind of um, the word cloak and dagger was was often used about that. But that doesn't really seem to happen at all these days. And um, if it does, it's generally a, a sort of desperate last minute one on um, deadline day where where a club ends up going for their twelfth choice because he happens to be within a, an hour's drive. Well, I like the ones who um, don't go through, uh, but would have been a big scandal, and then everybody pretends it wouldn't have happened, yes, uh, yes. or nothing happened, I should say. Um, like John Terry moving away from Chelsea, uh, Rain Rooney's another one, where within you know like a few months, everybody pretends this was never an option. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I think these are these are the really good ones. Yeah, no, that is a very good shout. When uh, Rooney was on his way to Man City, and then it never happened. Okay, gents, thank you very much. Time has uh, beaten us. Uh, we mentioned uh, a new podcast earlier on in terms of Manchester City. Rafa, it would be remiss of me not to mention Steilcast. Tell us all about it. Lovely link. Thank you very much. You like it. It's almost a few of a professional. <laughs> almost. Um, this is a new um, podcast that we're doing for The Athletic, talking about the Bundesliga and all things German football every Monday. So. Uh, keep an eye out on that and also some specials that we're putting up uh, as far as interviews with players and managers are concerned. Ah, nice. I look forward to hearing it. Rafa, thank you very much. Oli, thanks once again. And just a reminder for everyone, if you're not fully signed up to The Athletic, uh, you can read articles from all of our writers uh, by using a special discount code, which is a bonus, of UKPOD, and then you get 40% off. We will be back with another Transfer Daily tomorrow. See you then. Thank you.